working. Good morning, church. Um, Jason asked me a little while ago to come and share with you uh, <clears throat> part of our experience that we had last September where we lost a good friend. Uh, unfortunately, I have to write stuff down or I'll never remember it, so I hope you'll bear with me as I read it. But I think it's worth telling. In early September of this year, my wife and I lost a close friend. When we moved from Toronto area to Calgary in 1996, we met our neighbors three doors down from us and developed a very close relationship over the years as we lived there in Calgary. We became friends as couples. Abe and Betty grew to mean a lot to us. That's not to say we didn't make other friends in Calgary, but they were the closest to us. Oh, uh, we didn't live in the same house, and we weren't in each other's face every day, but they did, we did affect each other. <clears throat> you see, they introduced us to church, their church, First Alliance. It was a significant phase for both of our lives, Lynn and I, I returning to Christ and Lynn finding him for the very first time. It was also <clears throat> the first time the two of us could go to church together. You have no idea how important that was for the both of us. Of course, we have God to thank for his calling us, but we need to also acknowledge our friends as they were God's instruments in bringing us to worship him. We had many events together with our friends, Abe and Betty. They introduced us to a small Bible study group, and after a couple of years, they came with us when we birthed the group into two separate groups. So <clears throat> we were joined at the hip, you could say, as we um, worked through each group every week. Boy, there were many a discussion over the spiritual matters as well as everyday life. As many of you know, my wife's enthusiasm. Our friends love to play cards. And we gladly joined in the competition, but it was usually then the ladies against the men, or the men against the ladies. In September of 1999, we got into the Clausen's car and drove all the way to Newfoundland and back, and still remained friends after all that closeness. <laughs> in fact, <clears throat> the Clausen's are the reasons we are here today in the Kootenays. They introduced us to Woodbury, just down the road. We camped with them a few times over the years, and in 2009, we actually brought, in, brought into the idea of having an RV of our own on a permanent spot at Woodbury. Life changed things around to the point that our friends then came to visit us, and we all went fishing together. I wanted to tell you all these facts so you can see how close we have come to our friends in Calgary. Approximately 10 years ago, uh, Betty had a major heart attack, and it was our first shock of a medical nature. We almost lost her that day, but God had different plans. <clears throat> but this was a warning. We al <clears throat> almost immediately, God began growing new veins or is it arteries? I can never remember which one it is. 
And Betty didn't have to go undergo uh, major bypass surgery. They actually let her go home. We always kept an eye on Betty after that, and we were cautious with any physical activity. We would do our best to advise against overexertion. So it was in the back of our minds that if there was going to be a death, it would be Betty with her bad heart. After all, God had given us warning to prepare us. Then the unthinkable happened last September. Our friend Abe passed away. As far as we knew, he was in perfect health for the age of 79. It was so unexpected. He died from an aneurysm. Like most things, it was a bit complicated. He was at the church service that Sunday and became ill just as the end, at the end of the service. They took him to the nearest hospital, which isn't too far from First Alliance now. <clears throat> and uh, we found out that they had transferred him to another hospital uh, for surgery and his heart stopped on the way. He was gone for seven minutes. But they got his heart going again and they completed the repairs to, uh, to the area that was needed at the second hospital. But in the end, I surmised there was no brain activity and they removed him from the respirator. So what happened then? We entered into the grieving process. It happens to us all and it may look different for each of us. Abe wasn't a family member other than he was a brother in Christ, but he was our friend. We suffered a loss. For me, there was shock. It is usually the first thing that hits you, that numbness that removes you from the reality of what's happening. For us, we had an opportunity to pray for our friend when we heard that Abe was in the hospital and had a 50-50 chance of living. We were drawn to God as the only one who could help our friend. Oddly enough, I didn't have any feelings of denial or guilt. There was nothing to deny. Death is so final. But grieving can happen from things other than death, such as trauma and disease, as we will learn shortly in Psalm 6. However, in our case, we gave it to God and it was his choice to restore or not. But I did have some feelings of anger that they removed my friend from one hospital and moved him to another and possibly allowed the aneurysm to burst or fester on the way. So you can uh, see the next stage, which is blame. I was projecting blame on the medical field. At no time was I going to blame God, for I know he's in charge. Then came the following. Then the time that followed brought about stages of hopelessness and sadness. It is always the sadness that lingers. In some, in some circumstances, there is a phase of grieving called bargaining, where you offer to change your ways in order to stop a loss. Perhaps you may say we were bargaining when we were praying for Abe, when we thought he was still with us. But we all know you can't bargain with God. 
once the date's set. So I can see that the cycle of grieving isn't always the same for each time we have a loss, a death. Loss should be recognized, named, and grieved through in a safe and supportive environment. When a, when a safe and supportive environment is not available, grief can become unresolved and, sub, and surface in other ways. What better way to go through the grieving process than when we are surrounded by fellow Christians and loving family? There is a point where we will move on from hopelessness and deep sadness to acceptance. The hole in my heart is small from my loss when I compare it to our friend Betty, Abe's wife. Even though the sadness will linger after the acceptance, God will show us ways to overcome. We need to be in prayer for our recent widows and widowers. Have faith, my friends. It takes time to heal, and God will show you the way. Seek out that safe and supportive environment and share what is happening within you. It is not good to stuff the feelings deep inside. They need to be expressed and then allow God to fill the hole in your heart that was created. But when I discussed this with my wife, she brought up something I hadn't considered. We still form deep relationships with people who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And when they die, how do we grieve them? My friend Abraham was a mature Christian, and I know where he went. This fact made it easier for me, but I have had other friends and family who haven't been followers. It is my personal belief, when this happens, we are joining God, <clears throat> God's very own grief. For it was not God's intention that any one of us perish. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Another verse, 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we have a heavy burden for those who are left and not believed. But this grieving will be carried on with us for the remainder of our days. But we still have the Lord to fill those holes in our heart if we let him. Don't let Satan play games in your mind. God wants to be your answer for all your grieving. You should never doubt that he loves you and feels your pain. He will be there for you always, and for the lost, you share in his pain. And then always be prepared to share the gospel, his love, with those who haven't heard it yet. I lost my last page. <laughs> I'd like to thank you very much for listening. And uh, any questions, I can provide that uh, process for you if you need it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
So as I mentioned, uh, we are working through this series on grieving well, about how do we handle grief. And you can even see by, uh, if you remember some of Carmen, what she said last week and the way that she said it and the way that John spoke, we all handle grief differently. And I was thinking of Carmen's this week, uh, the things that she talked about of, of having permission to grieve and permission to grieve, to forget things, to break down in tears, to um, feel apathetic, like you really don't care about stuff, about permission to do those things when you are grieving. And we remember, if, if you remember back, we were talking through the story of Jesus when he was going to, uh, to Martha and to Mary uh, for their brother Lazarus. And we see how not only did they grieve, and Jesus grieved as well, not only do we have permission to grieve, but even as I read that story, we have prescription to grieve. It's prescribed for us. But it's good for us to go through grief, to walk through it, to not try to get around it or to deny it, but to actually follow him through it. Well, this morning, there's another aspect of that story that I think is good for us, important for us to talk about. And it's also, it's this part where uh, Martha and Mary, we talked some about it last week, about the honesty with which they spoke to Jesus. I don't know if anybody remembers what they said, but the first thing that Martha said to Jesus when she saw him was, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she went on to say some more and talk about um, that she knew that there was resurrection eventually. And, um, but then she goes and gets her sister Mary. And the first thing that Mary says to Jesus is, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then there's no second comments or no theological recovery. There's just, I think, just frustration, just hurt and anger. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's interesting to me of how honest these two ladies are, how honest Martha and Mary are. For some people, that sort of honesty, when you're in pain, it just comes out of you. You have no energy nor desire to try and edit what you're feeling, what you're going through. Others feel pressure to sanitize what they feel, to polish it, to clean it up. Especially sometimes uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, we feel like I have to be nice all the time, even when I am brokenhearted or furious. How do we uh, talk with other people as Christians? when our heart is broken and when our heart is grieving? How can we be honest with them? Or even as John was talking about some just a minute ago, how are we honest with God? Can we be honest with God? Can we talk with them about how hurt we are or how frustrated we are? Can we talk with God about trying to reconcile the fact that if he's good and all-powerful, how do bad things happen? And more particularly, how does bad thing happen to me or to the one that I loved? These are questions that we all work through. There's no, really, there's no way to live life without working through these questions of grief. How do we grieve well? How do we do it? How do we speak honestly? Is there a guide for us? Well, I've been reading Psalm 6, as John mentioned. If you would open up your Bibles to John, or sorry, to Psalm 6. If you like, it's also in the bulletin here as well to read along.
I think the the kids were trying to see how I would do with all the boxes on the stage, but I just showed them I'll just preach from here. <laughs> um, so read Psalm 6 with me, or listen to this. For the choir director with string instruments upon the eight-string lyre, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give thanks? Who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Let's pray that we hear this word well together. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. Help us to hear your word, Lord. Help us to hear the words of this psalm, Lord, that we might too be honest in the ways that we speak of our grief. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Psalm 6 helps us to honestly grieve. It's interesting. I don't know if you have done this math, but about almost 50% of the psalms are categorized as lament psalms. Psalms expressing grief. Psalms expressing anger or frustration or hurt. Psalms are one of the best places to go when our heart is broken. The Psalms give us language to speak when our heart can only groan. One of the places I was thinking of is actually verse 3 and 4. Listen to this about being honest. It says, My soul is greatly dismayed. I'm sorry, uh, it's verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. It's interesting. In this passage, this is actually from the NASB, um, New American Standard. And in NIV, it says just a little bit differently. It says, um, not that my soul is pining away, but that my soul is weary and weak. And it's uh, umlal is the Hebrew word underneath it. And this word is getting at, it has to do like with a fever, being weak, being absolutely exhausted, being weary. He's not just pining away. In our culture, that kind of has a different connotation. But in Hebrew, it's being weary, being absolutely exhausted. He says that my bones are troubled. My soul is troubled. Those who study this psalm think that perhaps the, the psalmist is writing in terms of an illness specifically. But these words apply even when we are heartbroken even when we grieve, that our bones are weary. And I was thinking about it that right here, the psalm is helping us to be honest with ourselves, honest with how we are doing. Sometimes we feel pressure or fear to not even be honest with ourselves when we are grieving. Sometimes we are afraid to be honest with ourselves because we are afraid of how deep the hole goes. 
We are afraid to be honest about our grief because how deep will it go? Will it completely consume us? If we go there, will we ever come back? Grief can be terrifying for us, and so we are oftentimes terrified to be honest even with ourselves about how deeply it hurts. But not only that, sometimes we feel pressure to edit our grief, to deny our grief, to not to speak dishonestly about it, even with people around us. One, because we don't want to burden them. I hear that so often. People who have grief that's eating them up. And they don't want to share it with others because they're afraid that it will be too much for them. And that's noble. And it's true, there are some people who won't handle our grief well. So sometimes there's wisdom in that. But for us to have people that we are close enough to, that we can share our grief with, that we can share our broken heart with, we need to be honest. Or I shouldn't say that. I don't mean to say it like that. It is good for us. (laughs) It is good for us to be honest. Honest uh, with ourselves. Honest even with others. But sometimes we are dishonest with uh, our own grief about how we're feeling because we don't want people to fuss over us. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's insecurity or the mix of the two. We don't want people to fuss over us, to give us pressure. We don't know what to do with it. And so we feel this pressure even from ourselves to act like we aren't hurting as bad as we are. To act like our heart isn't as broken as it really is. I was thinking of grief, um, times when I've been going through grief. I remember one of my mentors, he talked about walking through, journeying through grief. And I think about the Psalm, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So I have, when I think of grief, I often think of it in terms of moving through, of walking through grief. And I was thinking today, um, this morning actually, it's almost like we are laying portions of track. And when we're speaking honestly, we're, we're laying straight portions of track. When you lay straight portions of track, you keep moving along that line. But when we speak dishonestly with ourselves, I think we begin to lay bent track. Track that's bent in on itself. That continually bends to the left. And you keep laying that track, thinking, you know, I'm really getting somewhere. And slowly the track leads us back in. The dishonest track, the bent track, leads us back. And there's sometimes where the bend, even over years, the begin to maybe when we first start, the bend is really sharp. And so we say, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. And we, after about four pieces of track, we're right back where we started. But then sometimes over the years, the, the, begin, the bend is less, but still bent. And so we might lay 10 or 100 pieces of track before we wind up again at grief. I think that when we are honest with ourselves, we begin laying straight track that leads us through, not around, not over, but through grief. And when we're honest with ourselves, we begin laying straight track. Psalm 6, here, even in these words, there is encouragement for us to be honest about what we're going through. 
But as you keep reading, there's also, there's honesty even more than that. The second part of verse 3, it says, But you, O Lord, how long? How long, Lord? Where are you in this? How long until you do something? How long until you act? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, in Sheol, in death, who will give you thanks? Asking these rhetorical questions. I can't help but hear just the edge of sarcasm. Lord, who's going who's gonna to worship you in death? The Lord knows these questions. These aren't questions of, I'm looking for an answer, or maybe you don't know yet, God. These are questions of frustration. How long, O oh Lord? That even in our grief, we can be honest with God. Again, think of the way that Martha and Mary, especially the way Mary spoke with Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's honest. That's gritty honest. We can speak this honestly with God. He has heard it before. Especially from those he knows that love him, he has heard it before. And I don't know if this is, well, all metaphors break down, but I think of anger like a, like a flamethrower. <laughs> the anger, the rage has to go somewhere. Sometimes we turn it inward, we do our best to put it in our jacket and the flames just burn us. We turn our anger inward. We don't hurt anybody else, we just take it out on ourselves in all sorts of ways. And sometimes we are tempted to turn it on God. God, where are you? in this how does a good God who's all powerful let something like this happen are you all good Lord or if you're all good are you not all powerful and when we are really hurting all concern for reverence and these things they go right out the window We can get angry with God. And I can't help but think of my own sons, my own, like putting myself in place of father. My sons are still young, and, and I still tell them, you can be angry, but you may not speak to me like that. I'll be honest. <laughs> but that doesn't still... Um, that hasn't completely ruled out the fact that they have said some pretty horrible things. And as they get older, those of you who've had teenager or adult kids, you know that it does get harder. Kids say harder things. And yet we still love them. And if we are like that, how much more our good Father in heaven? That we can speak honestly with him. He can bear it. He will not reject us because of his son. 
we can speak honestly with God. We don't have to edit how we speak to him. I say that, but then at the other sense too, or on the other hand of that, and this is something I'm reluctant. I'm, I've been trying to work out, but I still want to say it because it's true. On the one hand, when our heart is broken and we are grieving, we already face enough pressure to be nice, to not say how we really feel because it's not nice. So I don't want to undo that. But at the same time, as I read Psalms, they speak honestly to God. But honestly, I can't find a place where they speak irreverently. And so, I'm not sure what to do with that. Because there are times when we, when our hearts are broken and we are so angry, the last thing we want to be is reverent or respectful. But as I read through Psalms, they speak honestly, but they, they do not speak disrespectfully of God. I'm not sure what to do with that. And for those of you who are grieving or who have been through grief or who, have, who maybe are still angry at God, I'm not sure what you do with those two. But I have to tell you the truth. As far as I can see, there's no place where people who are angry, even though they express genuine anger with God, genuine frustration, I don't see the places where they are disrespectful or vengeful. So it is good for us. As I read through this psalm, it is good for us to be honest with God. But there's rather one last thing that is good for us to be honest with. And it's verse 9. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. That the psalm leads us honestly through grief, but also honestly towards hope. Even though our hearts are broken, even though we may even be furious, the Lord hears our prayer. There is hope. There is hope in grief. This morning as I read this passage of Psalm 6, I've been looking for ways when I first even came to this passage was how do we deal with grief? How do we speak honestly in hearing that the Psalms give us language to speak? They give us words to express our grief. But as I dug into this Psalm, I realized, one, that it encouraged us to speak honestly, to deal honestly with our own grief, but also to speak honestly with God. Honesty is like that straight track that we lay that keeps leading us through and eventually out the other side. Forever changed, but through. So this morning, let us keep returning to the word of God. Let us keep listening to Psalm 6 or other Psalms, the other 75 of them, roughly, in the Psalms. They give word to lament. They give honest, real words of lament for us. Amen.